Welcome back to School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello. Uh, this week, we're being joined by Calvin once again, and uh, we get Jeff on again. Uh, Jeff, our, uh, I guess, our English correspondent for today. Um, how are you guys doing today? Doing fine, Gino. Doing well. Thanks for having me on, Gino. Yeah, absolutely. It's great. Always great having you guys on. And we're going to get having Jeff on. We'll get into a little bit of the youth discussion, kind of how things have changed. Obviously, there's been a lot that's happened since the last time we talked. Um, the last time we talked, I think, was before brands even left. Uh, this was we talked about the protests. Um, and, and now there's a lot to get into with brands leaving, uh, you know, scouting departments leaving. Um, the CEO, uh, DBB, possibly also leaving. You know, there's a lot to get into here, but we'll get into that as we typically do in the middle portion of this. First, we're going to start off with uh, the Arsenal match. Um, Everton defeated Arsenal 2-1 on Monday. Uh, Richie and Gray, Damari Gray, with uh, the two goals for Everton. Uh, Gray in unbelievable fashion, as uh, as has been shared all over the internet over the past few days, which has been fun to watch. Odegaard with the one goal for Arsenal. Um, Everton, they lined up, I think, more as many of us expected. Um, they did not go with what me and Calvin thought as the two in the midfield, I guess you could say. Um, they went with Pickford and Nett, Coleman, Mina, who was back from injury but then got injured again. <laughs> Uh, Keen and Godfrey across the back line, Gordon, Ducore, Townsend, Allen, and Gray in the midfield, and then Richie up top. Um, let's start there, guys. Um, your thoughts on this lineup um, for Everton going into this one? Calvin, we'll start with you. Yeah, it was it was interesting, right? You know, we've been giving Rafa a hard time about going three in the middle. Um, you know, I think he's preferred when he's not had Delph or Gomesh available to him or starting the game. You know, he's preferred to use Townsend as sort of the third guy. You know, I, I don't know if this was so much a, a three-man middle as it still looked like two banks of four. Um, and then Townsend sort of was in that like free number 10 role behind Richarlison. Uh, and I thought, I thought it was a bit of a strange start to the game because Everton was still doing that you know, we spent a lot of time talking about this last time, the half press, right? Where you had Townsend kind of helping Richarlison press the defenders, but he was neither here nor there. He wasn't in line with Richarlison. So now, you know, he creates this gap. And, and as we know, you know, Arteta has been trying to get his guys to play out of the back. So just feels, again, like a missed opportunity, right? We didn't really pressure them in the first half. And, and try to win that ball back or try to, you know, keep them compacted in their own area. But, I mean, otherwise, aside from that, you know, he, his hand was pretty much forced, right? He, he played the, the team he had, which at this point, if you think about it, right, minus, oh, I guess Mina got out. But at the beginning of the game, what were we thinking? This is pretty much minus DCL, Everton's best lineup, right? So um, it, it was interesting. Uh, again, still, still not, not, not really happy with Rafa's tactics here. But Jeff, how about you? Thoughts? So I, I agree with uh, Calvin's interpretation of um, how they lined up. Um, it, it was a bit of a, a, a mix and match, really. Um, and I, I must confess um 
Having seen um, Townsend play, he, Townsend is clearly a, a Rafa favourite. Um, he, he brought him in, he, he's played with them at, at a, a couple of clubs now. And um, I think he's one of these guys that uh, Rafa trusts implicitly and asks him to do a job, even if it's something that he's not done before, and, yeah. and uh, Townsend will go ahead and do it. And he did seem to be playing that almost like second striker role, which I've never seen him do ever. Right. Um, he did it reasonably well in as much as from a defensive angle, he um, was able to close down uh, the opposition when they were in possession and make it more difficult for them. Yeah, I mean, he's a willing runner, if nothing else. Mm -hmm. He's far more than that, but um, it was interesting to see him play that role. I think it was two banks of four, him playing that role behind Richarlison. I thought Richarlison was magnificent on, on Monday night. I thought he was yeah. at one of the best games I've seen him play for us. And it came kind of out the blue because, you know, if I'm honest, you know, he, he's tried. Um, but I, I think that was more the Richie that we know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so too. I think Richie's one of those guys who, and, and I, you know, we see it over and over again we've seen it a lot this year and how he has been kind of a um he's been all for the club and and has really respected the club since he's since he's got here he's he's done everything he could and I think he's one of those guys who when the you know the club's down things are going on off off the pitch and and things are going on he I think he kind of feels like he needs to do something on the pitch to 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 make the fans feel better and 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 make things better and and yeah. that's kind of what I got from his performance um, on Monday. I, I just felt like he kind of took the team, put them on his shoulders, and said, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to try and win this game for us. And it, essentially, he did. I mean, um, obviously, the two close offsides calls, which we'll get into. Um, but, you know, uh, scored the goal to tie things up and then kind of really dominated the game, really all game. Um, from a pressing perspective, um, I, I think we I think we were pressing more than we we typically did, or, or more than we did the last game when um, it was pointed out. The little bit of pressing, I, I thought that there was a little bit more pressure on the team um, on Arsenal. But I, I do agree that there is still you know the tactics are still a little little wanky and um, <laughs> not really sure what Rafa um, thinks on the whole pressing thing. Um, but again, it is it is hard with the the options he has um but as we mentioned Mina starts but he goes off injured I think in around the 13th minute it wasn't long was it too early to start Mina after being after coming back from injury was the defense worse without Mina after the injury um what were your guys thoughts on on how that all played out whether it was too early to bring Mina in and um you know whether you know the team suffered after he went off uh, Jeff we'll start with you so I, I really like Yeri Mina. I think he's our, our best centre-back uh, when he's fit. Um, he, he brings a uh, composure to uh, the, the play. The, he, he doesn't panic when in possession, whereas you, you do get the impression with some of the others that the, it's, it's like a hot potato. They want to get rid of the ball as quickly as they can, uh, just for safety reasons. Was it too early to bring him back? Um I, I believe that he'd been in full-time training for, for quite a bit. Uh, we've got this new fitness coach, the rehabilitation coach guy, who must have been taking a close interest in uh, what Yari's uh, state of fitness was. Uh, and, and he came back in. 
And I thought until he got injured, I think it was a bit longer than the 13th minute, but it was, certainly wasn't very long. Um, I, I thought he was great uh, in, in that time. Were we worse when he went off? Um, Mason Holgate's not, not my favourite. Um, and uh, it's largely down to uh, his, uh, the attention um, span that he seems to have. He, he switches off quite a lot. But yeah. I have to confess, and, and to be absolutely fair to the boy, I thought he did really well when he came on. And um, we, we weren't, I think he switched off right at the end when that guy... Uh, Obama, yeah. Here, uh, oh, yes. yes. Yeah, get here, he, yeah. lost it. he lost him for that. And I think it was about the only mistake I can really uh, pin on uh, Mason Holgate. I thought uh, Keane, given the, uh, the fact that he had two partners during that uh, 90 minutes or 98 minutes, whatever it was, um, I, I, I thought he was uh, had a much improved game. And um, I, I think it spread throughout the team. I think it helps. Uh, I know there's probably differences of opinion on uh, e- even this uh, trio that we're talking, uh, the, the three of us now talking about Dean or, or Godfrey. And, and Godfrey, I think, covers the centre-backs really well because that's what essentially he is. Yeah. Um, and I think it gives them that confidence. So I, I, I thought defensively we were okay on uh, Monday night and, you know, both with Mina and without Mina. Calvin, yeah, no, I, I, I think Jeff's hit it on the on the head there. Uh, we definitely saw better from Holgate there. Uh, Mina's injury situation continues to be a concern, right? Um, every every time he comes back, it only seems like a matter of games before he goes out. This time, it was a matter of what half an hour odd or something like that. So, I, I mean, while he was on the pitch, I think we looked amazing. I, I think defensively we looked organized. Um, Arsenal didn't even have a sniff, right? It's only when Mina went off, and then uh, again, Polgate sometimes can be a little scatterbrained. His attention span, definitely his weak point, doesn't seem to have learned anything, unfortunately, in all these years uh, with the team. Uh, but I think Keane had a good bounce back game, right? Keane, I think traditionally always gets roasted against the Reds. This is nothing new, but I think he he did he did very well coming back against Arsenal. Um, so, no, defensively, I think we were good. Um, <clears throat> Jeff, you touched on it there, right? So, how good was Ben Godfrey, right? Um, especially stepping in for Lucas Dean, who's, again, not been great the last few games. Um, did that merit him being dropped? My personal opinion, no, not at all. I, I think there's a, a number of players have had you know, shocking performances and they've stayed in the team. So clearly there is something else going on behind the scenes between Digne and, uh, and Benitez. But yeah, defensively, I think we were more solid. Uh, we still did give uh, Arsenal a couple of chances. You know, in all, in all honesty, Arsenal should be aggrieved. They didn't win this game, right? With Nketiah hitting the post. Um, and then right at the end, Obama Young somehow getting that open shot. I could not believe that. And I think the Evertonian in every one of us saw that going in, right? And breaking our hearts. So um, I guess it was just uh, meant to be for us. But yeah, I think defensively we were better. Do we still have issues? Yes, clearly. Yeah, on the Dean Dean thing, I I think you know it's you're right that I think that there's a lot of um, you know other players that could have easily been dropped for poor performances as well. 
Um, the other thing is the fact that we don't actually have a true left back to replace him. So dropping him is always a question just because, or for something that is so trivial and not for injury and some, something like that is, um, um, you know, is always a question. Defensively, I thought we, I thought we were solid. The Obama hang chance, of course, I was, as, as you said, Calvin, I was like, this is how it's going to end as in typical <laughs> Everton fashion. This is how it's going to end. Um, after the great Damari Gray goal, after everything that's happened, right? exactly it been fitting for him to put that in the back of the net, but <laughs> somehow he missed. Um, and uh, and Everton go on to win the game um, two to one. But in typical Everton fashion, something did happen uh, at the end of the first half. Uh, Odegaard does score. You know, of course, Everton play a good first half and, 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 you know, don't give up any goals, have a couple scoring chances, get goal ruled off for all sides, which, again, we'll talk about. Um, and Odegaard scores in stoppage time and, like, the last minute of stoppage time of the first half. Um, you know, another one of those – and me and Calvin talked about this, Odegaard's possibility to be a late runner into the box, and, and that's kind of seemed to be what it was in this. Um, Calvin, we'll start with you. Thoughts on this goal, how it happened, and, and whatever can, Everton could have done to prevent it? Yeah, uh, I, I think, you know, I think we knew Arsenal's main threat, uh, attacking threat, was going to be Kieran Tierney, and it, it was right. You know, right? Uh, Tierney has, he, he's, is a pacey left back, and he's got an excellent delivery, right? Uh, all, funny, all things that we knew Lucas Tierney could do, right? So, um, that was always going to be a threat. Um, it, it was disappointing that Seamus Coleman, you know, didn't do more there. Um, again, not so much a ding on Coleman. Tierney's just that good, right? Tierney's made a lot of right backs in the league look bad this, this, this season or in fact the last, I guess, couple of seasons. So not so much on Coleman. I guess where Everton could have done better though, right, was, you know, to pick up runners coming into the box, right? Um, and especially when a team like Arsenal, who do tend to play that kind of game with a number of runners coming late into the box, that is going to be the key way they attack you. So disappointing that, you know, uh, Odegaard wasn't picked up coming in. Um, feels like he, he, uh, that was a Holgate miss there. Holgate should have picked him up. But again, what do you do? It was a perfect finish, right? You can't even blame Pickford for that one. So it was just very Evertonian, right? We had just scored through Richie, you know, given us the breakthrough, got the crowd going and everything, got chalked off VAR, and Arsenal come right back and hit you with that gut punch just before the break, right? That, mm -hmm. you know, for the scoring team is always the best time to score. For the conceding team, that's the worst time to score. So it really just seemed to be all falling down around our ears there. Yeah, it, it did seem in typical Everton fashion as, as you know, as I said, you know, it was just, it, you could write a book about Everton, about the upcoming season and probably get 95% <laughs> of the things right um, because it literally happens every single time. So yep. regard scores, uh, Jeff, what was your thought on, on this goal and how Everton could have possibly prevented it? So, so uh, I think uh, Calvin's right. Uh, you know, great run by Tierney. We know he can do that. Uh, we know that they'll make uh, yards down uh, that left-hand flank for what we're not very good at. And this goes back to Ancelotti's time as well. Um, the number of goals that I've seen scored from the edge of the area by late arrivals. Um, mm -hmm. There doesn't seem to be any protection there. Um, not having a go at Alan, but, but um, he, he's a little guy. 
and he, he struggles to get across to to actually block a lot of those uh, yeah. late arrivals. And you know, Decore, much as you know his athleticism, and I thought he was really good on Monday. Um, you know, you can't expect him to do absolutely everything. So I think that when teams uh, get that kind of break on us, I think we always struggle. I've seen it against, I think Manchester United did it a few uh, times last year, um, arriving late on the box and uh, scoring uh, what look good goals. But if you were a manager looking at the, your own defence, you go, what on earth happened there? Why weren't we protecting yeah. the edge of the area better than we were? And I think it's sometimes... Um, and I guess this is to do a lot with Everson's defence, is that we're a bit um, passive, a bit, uh, you know, we don't react quick enough to situations. Mm -hmm. People don't seem to see things developing. It's almost as if I've got my man, that, that's it, job done. Whereas right. where in actual fact, what you've got to do is uh, look for late arrivals and runners uh, and try and do your best to intercept them. And I just don't think we're very good at this at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think me and Calvin talked about this a little bit last week as well. The late runner is is a a guy that probably typically would be picked up. I mean, I know we did technically have three in the midfield. Townsend defensively, I don't really know if he was really playing that central midfielder role or whether he was more helping out on the right side with with Gordon or whatnot. But that is a guy who's typically picked up by, say, a Gomez who would be brought in in that position if they're playing three right. across the midfield instead of, you know, maybe a triangle in the midfield with, you know, two center middies and the center attacking midi. But um, that is, is something. But it's just it, – it's like – and it's – you see it over and over and over again. And it's gotten so – like you can pinpoint like it, yeah. every time Everton's done this. It, it's – like every time I watch an Everton game, I actually don't really worry about the first 45 minutes. I worry about the two <laughs> minutes of stoppage time that are cut because it seems that it happens all the time. It's like they turn off as soon as that 45 minutes hits the clock. Um, and they're like, okay, well, the half is over. We just need to play this out. Um, and, and something always seems to happen. But um, a really good run by Tierney, um, good finding um, of, of Odegaard in the box. And then Odegaard puts it, you know, puts it uh, in the back of the net. But um, I, I think what were your guys' thoughts on the overall first half performance? Um, was it soured by the goal? Did you feel like Everton yeah. played well, um, well enough to even be up in the first half? Um, what were your guys' thoughts? Uh, Calvin, Calvin, we'll start with you. Yeah, yeah I, I thought we did decently, right? Um, Arsenal were, was always going to have the majority of the possession. I, I think, again, Rafa's style is very clear at this point. Um, he would rather not have the ball. And, and to be honest, and I'm going to be brutal about Arsenal here, um, I, I think the best way to beat Arsenal is to let them have the ball because they are pretty much impotent when they do have it. Um, they, they, they've, dish, they've got their own creative issues with the ball. It's just like if a team wants to beat Everton, they should give Everton the ball because all we'll do is just push it side to side and really not do much with it. So I, I think we played it perfectly. Uh, I, I think... Uh, you know, those the, the VAR call, uh, if that goes for us, I think Richarlison's goal goes in. We probably find a second before Arsenal find a reply. So I thought we did well enough in yeah. the first half. 
I think I'm just going to quickly touch on that issue there with the late runners, right? You yeah. know, I think the, the, the key thing we have in our defense, that's an issue, even though we play the two-man midfield, is that we don't actually have a pure defensive midfielder. You know, we don't have that Gareth Barry type character who's going to sit in front of the back line, right? Yeah. Both Alan and Okore are box-to-box box, or at least to some extent, like Alan for it. Example, he did best at Napoli when he was paired with the defensive midfielder and he was in that Ghana gay role where he went and hunted the ball, a lot like Kante, N'Golo Kante, right? He's, he's most successful when he's got someone protecting the, the back line and he can just go be a destroyer somewhere in the middle and, and cause chaos up there. And I think that's Alan's best role too. Um, Alan's advancing years and his p- lack of pace means he, necess- he, he gets caught out of position a lot when he starts pushing forward into the front, the first half, into, into the opposing half, sorry. So that, that, I think that's the issue there. And, and so that, you know, any, any team that's playing Everton, that, that's exactly how you beat us. That's exactly how the Reds tore us apart, right? Because we were doing that funny half press. And now if it's on the Everton left, Alan gets sucked up there. All of a sudden, Alan is caught in the opposing half and we've got no protection on for our left back. So that's the way to beat Everton until we sign that defensive midfielder and then go into a true three-man midfield. Again, let's take the Reds as an example, right? Fabinho sits in front of the front, uh, the, the back four, and then he lets the two midfielders in front of him be creative influences be disruptive influences that that that's the model we need to get to that's the model yeah. of the modern game yeah yeah uh, jeff your thoughts so so i i thought first half we, we did okay I, I liked the energy there was more more about us uh, i think that they were buoyed by the the crowd and i know we're probably going to touch yeah. on it the uh, 27th minute bit um but i, I think that there was an energy, a nervous energy, if you like, uh, yeah. that was, was bringing the best out of the team um, in, in terms of certainly closing down. And uh, I certainly thought by the end of the half, we certainly didn't deserve to be one down. Uh, no. Level at worst, um, possibly, you know, we'll come on to the goals as well. But uh, I, I do think we, we did okay. Um, that counter-attack thing, I, I thought Arsenal were a bit naive. It's a bit like... Um, the old boxing days of Muhammad Ali with uh, rope-a-dope, they used to call it, where he, he yeah. would just bring the, the, the players in, uh, the, the boxer in, and um, just soak it up uh, and then hit him uh, when he felt like it. It's a, it feels a bit like that, the way uh, Benitez uh, draws out his tactics for the for the Blues these days. And I, and I thought they got sucked in, rather, um, Arsenal into, into that, uh, which allowed yeah. just the space to break on the attack. And when you've got the likes of Gray, and Richarlison, you've got a bit of pace around the team now that can actually um, work that counter-attack quite well. So I, I thought we did okay. The press was nice to see, um, the, the energy, and um, I think we are harshly done too with the uh, disallowed goal. Yeah, yeah I, I, w- I would agree. I think the first half performance was, was really I, – I, I thought they did a good job. I thought they played well enough, which makes the, the goal at the end of the half hurt that much more, especially with everything that was going around the club. I mean – um, and, and in the second half, they could have folded after that, you know, everything going around the club, you know, being down one nothing after a good first half, seems like right. nothing's going their way. Obviously, we know that they didn't. But, um, but yeah, I thought they played really well in the first half. Um, on the three-man midfield, like you said, Calvin, I think, I think, you know, 
and, and we'll talk about this in, in a second. And actually, you know, why don't we why don't we get into it because it is the second half when Gomez comes on. Um, Gomez comes on with Decore and Allen in the midfield still, and it seems to really change really changed the game. And it's done that on multiple occasions um, when he's fit and when he was and when he's been playing this year. Gomez really seems to be that piece that can come on and really make a difference in the midfield and kind of create some calmness. And we saw it on Damari Gray's goal where he calmly works through the traffic and then gets the ball outside, you know, out to Damari Gray and, and Gray creates, you know, the, the, the wonder goal that he did. Um, yeah. But I think, I think the defense, I think we would be better suited. I don't like, I think right now with the personnel we have, I think Gomez probably has to start in the midfield uh, with those two. Um, and I don't, I'm interested to hear what you guys think about that as well. But I think you're right, Calvin. I think if we got a more defensively minded midfield, it would allow Allen and DeCore to get forward more. And that would be a better option moving forward. That would be something I would look for in the transfer window. Because I think Allen is very good at pressing and, and kind of in the way that Idrissa Ganagay was for us when he was really just running forward, bolting forward and 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 was able to kind of let loose and and kind of allow that, you know, kind of put that pressure on. That's good, and then it allows Decore to be the box-to-box midfielder that he needs to be. So, yeah, um, I think that that probably would be a better way to go. What are your guys' opinion on now moving forward, going with Gomez, Decore, and Allen? Is this something that has to be done? Is it time to switch to this three-man midfield of Gomez after his performances that he's put in, or would you rather still see the Townsend, or or would you rather you know maybe somebody else come in in that midfield? Um, to to make it a midfield three. Jeff, we'll start with you. So I, I think the three uh, in midfield is long overdue. Um, it worked well with Ancelotti um, at the beginning of last season with Gomez nominally playing like a left midfielder of the of yeah. the three, able to get forward. He's composed. He doesn't panic in possession. Um, he's he's a proper footballer when he's fit, and I think that's been part of the problem with him. Um, he's never truly looked the same player since before that horrific injury that he had. Yeah. But on his day, he's a great player in my view, and he he looked back to his best there. I think we should be going with a three. I've said it long and hard. I, I, I do think that then has an impact on what you do further up top when uh, DCL is back and he, he, he is obviously going to go into the centre-forward position. You then probably are left with uh, Richarlison playing more slightly wide left and probably yeah. uh, Gray switching to the to the right. To, to, so we've got three pacey people up front with a right. fairly solid-looking midfielder. I, I can't wait for that to happen, quite honestly. Calvin? So, same thing, right? I, I think in games where, where we are going to not have possession or we are going to be faced with a team that's got attacking capability, like Arsenal, for example, um, I, I would say maybe we even go with the Delph, right, as the third member of that midfield trio, right? And then Delph can be that defensive midfielder that sits in front of the back line um, and lets Alan and Dokure both go up. So again, when when Rafa has a fully fit squad, he's got options, right? He's gonna yeah. have some tactical flexibility, right? We can play an attacking four-three-three, or we can play more of an attacking four-five-one, if you will, right? And 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 then that with with say Delph anchoring the center of that five. But now you still have 
um, whether it's Richarlison and Gordon or Gray and Townsend taking those wide roles there and you have the ability to, to you know, again, break forward at pace or, you know, just consolidate the midfield. Like just get, getting players back fit is going to be pretty critical for this team. Again, again yeah. we've talked about the midfield for so long, we haven't even mentioned Dubamin yet, right? So there's definitely some options uh, for Rafa to play with. But I, I think just getting everyone fit and, and, and back into sort of match, match fitness, I think that's going to be the key thing. And especially with the number of games coming up, that's uh, going to be really important. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, absolutely. Obviously, again, everybody back fit is going to be huge. But, and I think when everybody is fit and you're able to play um, DCL up top, I, I mean, I never really, right now, I'm not very, very worried about the winger spots or the, the you know, when Dominic Calvert-Lewin gets back, obviously the striker position is, mm-hmm. is helped, obviously, significantly. But I feel like that, the attack part of our, for, for once, the attack has been, when healthy, pretty pretty solid it's it's just been that center midfield role when everybody's not healthy which has been obviously far too often and of course the outside backs where we lack depth and and don't have the ability to put somebody in for Seamus Coleman or or Luca Dean when he's he's off and and unfortunately the center backs have been unhealthy but I think when healthy we have depth at that position as well so um you know I think it, it, the, the biggest problem, of course, has been the injuries. Um, you know, that's obviously been, been a huge problem for us, and it's been well-documented how, how much that's affected us. But um, there, is, there, there are solid pieces there for Rafa to work with and Rafa to work with in his system and how he wants to play and whatnot. So hopefully we get everybody back healthy or majority of, of people back healthy soon. I know DCL's back in some form of training. It looked more, maybe more like individual training from the yeah. photo he posted yesterday, but at least he's training, which is a good start. Um, in terms of Gomez, I, I love the fact that he is really, he, he is the only player when he's on and when he's playing and in form, he is the only player really that I think is, is comfortable enough to make that transition of the ball from defense to midfield. Decore tends to be a little crazy with it. He, he, he's kind of full force running full sprint down the field. Um, you know, I, I think Gomez kind of when he is at his best, kind of the game slows down around him and he finds his way to work his way, the ball up to the, the, the attack. And that's a huge, huge thing that, that Everton doesn't really have in any of their other players. So that's... Um, I love seeing that, and I love um, when Gomez is on like that. And he did, on on Monday, he was the player that I think a lot of us remember from before he got injured the first time when he when he was first brought to us. So um, really good on Gomez, and, and a good performance from him for sure. Um, let's talk about the two VAR goals before we get to the uh, two Everton goals. Um, I mean, interested to hear your guys' thoughts on this. I've watched them both again. <laughs> um, I've watched them over and over again. I've seen the the zoomed in pictures. I, I just I, I don't know how you can overturn the goals. Um, and I'm sure you know if Liverpool fans are really dying, they could probably go back and find me complaining or saying that Anderson's goal from last season was absolutely offside and VAR was right. But I think overall we can all agree whether you're a fan of 
the other team in Liverpool or you're a fan of Everton or you're a fan of Manchester City or United or, or Brentford, we can all agree that goals like this really, I think, have, have, they should stand. There's no, in my personal opinion, there's no competitive advantage gained by Richie's, you know, the corner of his shoulder being slightly off sides, you know? And, and, and so that was really the case in both these goals. I didn't really find, even with the lines, I didn't think the lines were even correct in, in this. Um, but what are your guys' thoughts? Calvin, we'll start with you. Yeah, it, it, the, the VAR, right? So this has been one of the most contentious things about VAR right from the outset is that it, it's all a matter of kind of how and when you draw the lines, right? Because it, everything is dependent on these lines. And I know there's been so much question about, you know, what, what, what is the furthest point of the player's body that you should use to draw the lines? I, I think now, I, did we settle on the armpit? Is that what is going on right now? Yeah, I believe so, so yeah. And then there's also the issue about the width of the lines now, right? Like how thick are these lines being drawn and what is considered an overlap? I thought there was some conversation earlier this season that the, I don't know, maybe the margin between the lines, there was going to be some sort of error margin that was going to be considered there. but. Seems like nothing's changed. Yes, and then these these are really ticky tack goals that are split second, width of a nail kind of things, and they're changing the game, right? So yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know what the resolution on this is, but I, I do think it's it's being uh, it's being overanalyzed right now. I think VAR is 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 really being overdone right now. Jeff, so so I think if you ask the Arsenal defense. Uh, on both goals, um, there was no protests at all, um, which, which tells its own story. Uh, the Arsenal defence used to be famous for uh, sticking, sticking its hand up in the air like um, a puppet on a string uh, whenever there was any um, possibility of there the being a, an infringement. Um, th- that didn't happen this time. Um, I, I think with good reason, they accepted that they were good goals. And the, the most annoying thing for me is that it's uh, a flouting of the uh, rules around VAR and uh, whether or not something was clear and obvious that the referee and linesman had made an error. And I don't think on either of those, there was, uh, it was clear and obvious that there had been an error made. Um, I, I think regardless of the lines being drawn, et cetera, et cetera, I, I just don't think that it was right to question the referee's uh, decision. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I, the, the, my whole thing is, you know, offsides is, is being put in place because, um, well, one, because obviously if there was no offsides, there would probably be less goals. Defenses would be sticking back and, and not allowing people to kind of, as they say, cherry pick. Um, and, and kind of just be out there sitting all by themselves and behind the defense and things would be more compact. The game would be less open, which I understand. And I think offsides is also, as I mentioned, you know, you're trying offsides creates a competitive advantage, right? It, it, that's, that's basically what offsides, you know, being offsides is it's a competitive advantage against the, the opponent. But I don't, I don't think in either of these goals, Richie had a competitive advantage. She just happened to be like that one centimeter isn't going to make the difference from the Arsenal defense stopping that compared to the Arsenal defense um, letting that goal in. So, you know, even again, they've shown that second one so many times and I I can't really, um, 
I, I still, I mean, it looks like they, they colored in another red line to, to extend. Yeah, exactly. You know, so it, it didn't even look like his boot was actually where it was. So, um, I, I mean, if you look at the replay, I've watched the replay multiple times, both of their feet are on that white line. There's the, the, the heads are, to, you know, and, and on the first one even, the knee of the defender, who I don't know who it is, looked like it was very even, if not in front of Richie. And, of course, they yeah. say all these things about, oh, hey, like, you know, it's the angle, this, that, and the other thing. But I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard for me to say that either of those goals was a competitive advantage, advantage against Arsenal um, that, that allowed Everton to score. I think they were just good goals. Um, and, and that's the, uh, it's unfortunately the way VAR is right now and hopefully it'll change, but I guess, I guess we shall see, but thankfully it didn't matter. Thankfully Everton got the win. Yeah. Richie does get his goal and it's, it's really the, the, the Everton win is in, in large part, thanks to players that we've been, you know, thanking the entire season, Damari Gray and, and Richarlison. Yeah. Um, Richarlison obviously scores the first goal on the, um, the shot off the crossbar by Damari Gray. He's there to put it in. Um, I'm sure many Everton fans were sitting there like, no way he's on sides after the first two. Um, and <laughs> right. then the second goal was Damari Gray being Damari Gray. It was, it was what we've seen from Damari Gray the entire season, creating something out of nothing, using his skill, um, and just putting an absolute wonder strike into the corner of the net, <laughs> barely barely making it in hitting it off off the post and and it going in i mean even i don't know how you guys felt even when when the ball went in i wasn't even sure if it went in i I was like there's no way like hit off the post it was such a weird angle but um but yeah your calvin your guys thoughts on you you, we'll start with you but your guys thoughts on on these two everton goals and and the everton win and what it means for for us yeah so I think we just mentioned this, right? Richarlison, I think, was unplayable on the day, right? Arsenal defense just had no answer for him. I think he he was everywhere. He was doing everything. He was doing all the work. Love seeing Richarlison when he, you know, when he has when he wants to play like that. And 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 he, I, I think there was also the combination of the the Arsenal defenders being the ball playing defending type. Um, Richarlison traditionally seems to do well against central defenders who play that way. Um, it, it's when he goes into physical battles against the Burnleys, I think, where he seems to kind of get swallowed up a little bit. So I think Richarlison was amazing. I, I, I think his vision was incredible on the goal that did stand because he kept his eye on the ball. He saw that come off the bar. And while everyone was still hunting for the ball, he knew exactly where he was going and he contorted himself to make sure he was in the right position to head that ball right back in. It, it was excellent. I think it was shades of that goal. Was that Seamus Coleman that scored in the last minute against, I think it was Newcastle. I think oh, something similar, right? A corner that got cleared. That was the ball. Wasn't that the ball where he comes in at the back post and fires it into the, like, the top left corner? Is that the one? I that... thought so. I think that's yes. the one I'm thinking about. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah, but I think similar thing. I think great vision from Richarlison, great execution, and uh, fully deserved that goal. Deserved a hat trick, really, but <laughs> yeah. definitely deserved that goal. Uh, Jeff, then, how about you? Oh, sorry, Calvin. Go ahead. 
Sorry, then, and then Jay, I think just to finish it off, right? Gray, again, the goal, the first goal came from a shot by Gray that hit the crossbar. The second shot also came from a goal by Gray and he hit the post this time. I mean, he's got an incredible shot. At this point, defenders who are not aware that he can cut in and fire in with his right foot, like you stand on notice. Gray is he's incredible. His finishing has been very, very good. Those shots are thunderbolts. You're not stopping those. I yeah. mean, early in the season when Townsend was, was hammering the same from the other side, it looked like we were going to be an all-out attacking team. So, uh, no, I cannot complain about the goals. Those were excellent goals. Uh, just, and yeah, deserving. Well, what a win and what, what an atmosphere. Absolutely. Jeff, how about you? I think Gray's goals, they just speak for themselves, don't they? Um, they're both, um, sorry, Gray's goal uh, and uh, Richie's uh, knock-in from Gray's shot um, both speak for themselves. Um, excellent at doing that, cutting inside, uh, taking a man on, on the edge of the box mm. and, and letting loose. Got, he's got quick feet, so he gets it from out of his feet pretty quickly, which is, is what gives him uh, the opportunity most of the time. But that's kind of obvious and, you know, great. Um, but what I really enjoyed about that was uh, Richarlison's anticipation of the ball coming off the crossbar. Not an easy chance, that. Easy to get under the ball and balloon it over the crossbar. Easy to just mistime the header or whatever. He, he anticipated that perfectly. I actually think, and no, no one's particularly mentioned this, but... Um, I, I noticed the, it wasn't a, a physical battle, but the, there was a, a kind of thing going on between him and Gabriel at the, at the back for uh, Arsenal, fellow Brazilians. And I think there was a bit of, um, I'll show you who's boss um, <laughs> go, going on there between Richarlison and him. And that there's no doubt about the result of that uh, contest. Um, but I thought it was really interesting to see. I wondered whether that had a little to do with how he was fired up. Um, but I, I just thought, you know, Gray, excellent, but also Richarlison. I think that's possibly the best I've seen him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it was just um, a great second half performance. Damari Gray, really one of the signings of the summer. I mean, for what we paid for him um, and how good he's been, I think, over the, you know, if you look across the entire Premier League, I think he's probably... Um, up there, top five signings of the summer, if not if not one of the best for his value. So um, he's been fantastic. Richarlison, once again, putting the team on his back. Um, really was a great and a much-needed performance with everything that was going on. Um, and I think a much-needed win. And, you know, now we look to build on that. Um, and, and I do bef- – I want to move on to the – we'll talk about the off-the-pitch off the stuff um, in two seconds. I just want to move on. I feel like – we wouldn't be doing our job and we wouldn't be fair and impartial if we didn't talk about the, uh, the Ben Godfrey red card possibility incident. Um, your guys' quick thoughts. Uh, Jeff, we'll start with you. Would you have given uh, Godfrey a red card for that, that VAR check where it looks like he, his foot finds the face of Tomiyasu or, or, or you think it was the right, right call? Well, of course I wouldn't. Um, but, but in, um, in, in, in absolute uh, trying to remain impartial on it, um, he, he was looking the, the other way um, as he was coming down from uh, the, the challenge. And I, I don't think any uh, professional would want to do that, would want to actually stamp on someone's face. It, it looked terrible because he, he undoubtedly caught his studs in his face. And I think in trying to 
pull out of it it made it look even worse because by that by the time he pulled out of it he was looking down it looked like he, he it was vengeance or something like that okay. it, it was just it looked horrible but um thankfully the uh people made the right decision i think uh i, I think uh, did he get booked for this? I'm not sure if he did. I think it could have no. been a yellow. I, I don't think he. I don't think he did get booked for. It. No, no, he no. wasn't even I, given I as it, a foul. It could have <laughs> been a yellow purely on the on the grounds that it was reckless, uh, yeah. rather than intentionally uh, yeah. dangerous, trying to endanger an opponent. Um, so I, I was sort of surprised a little bit about that, but um, I, I think they saw common sense in in the end. Uh, Calvin, your thoughts. Yeah, that was interesting. Uh, again, Everton have just been on the back of, you know, we talked about this the last time Jeff was on. Mason Holgate had just been sent off for a pretty reckless late challenge, right, against Spurs where he cleared the ball, sure, but kept his studs in a dangerous position uh-huh. um, and, and sort of went into a player. Me personally, uh, again, I, I, I didn't think that was a red. That was probably too harsh. And yeah. I think uh, Holgate, and, and sorry, in this, in this game, Godfrey getting off with no punishment at all was probably too lenient. So this is the, I think, the inconsistencies we're seeing with refereeing and with even the implementation of VAR. I agree sending Godfrey off would have been, I, I think, completely wrong, right? I don't think yeah. he deserved a red card. But there was certainly some dangerous play there, right? Not necessarily intent to injure, but yeah. you also do get booked for dangerous challenges, right? I'm thinking about when you go up with your foot in the air in the box, right? That, 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 that gets you a yellow card for, for, yeah. for a dangerous challenge. And so I think that's exactly what should have happened there. Um, it, it, it probably did influence the game a little bit because Godfrey was throwing himself around with, with some willful abandon there. So I, I don't know if that would have reined in his game a little and allowed Arsenal to attack him more. Um, but just again, it's the inconsistency in, in inconsistency. Sorry about that. Jeez. The inconsistencies <laughs> in refereeing that 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 keep popping up, and it's frustrating. Yeah, um, for me, it wasn't red. It just—I mean—it looks like when he does look back, he he realizes, oh my god, I can't believe I just did that. I don't think he he really had any intent into it. I don't think it was a red, but I do agree that it it probably should have been yellow. I mean, and there was probably a couple of challenges that he had. That could have resulted in yellows. Um, I, I think that's fair to say he was he was throwing them around like they were nothing out there. So, um, you know, obviously from an Everton perspective, thankfully no. I mean, from you know, an Everton perspective, it was great. Um, you love to see that passion and hard tackles. That's something that you know I feel like Everton fans, you know, they 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 you know kind of live and breathe on and and really build off of. But you know, I, and of course, thankfully no one was hurt. That's the most important thing. Um, because obviously those hard tackles can cause some serious injuries, whether there's intent or not. Um, I, but- I think it's good to see, uh, Gino. Uh, in the, there was one earlier uh, where he went into, uh, I'll, I'll loosely say it was a 50-50. It was probably a 40-60 <laughs> or a 30-70. But yeah. Godfrey thought it was 100-0 yeah. in his favour. And, and yes. he, he took ball, man, uh, turf, the works, everything, uh, uh, everything yeah. else. Um, it actually, you know, it actually roused the crowd. It did, uh, which yeah. is good to see. I, I remember from years ago seeing that kind of thing happen. Yeah. And there's nothing. Goodison likes nothing better than a a good fur but firm <laughs> tackle. 
Yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. So um, really a good all around performance from Everton. I think from, from beginning to, to finish, I think obviously the one hiccup with the, uh, well, there were a few hiccups, but I think for the most part, way things finished was, was where they deserved to finish. Because even if the Obama angle goes in and they get that in the, in the, and, and Kitia, I think is his name, that, yeah. that chance goes in. Everton deserved two goals from the Richarlison VAR. So if you really play it fair and, um, and you assume that all those goals go in, it still ends 4-3 Everton. So, um, you know, it was, I, I think, from beginning to finish, they played a really solid game. They, they could have folded after the first half, could have folded on multiple occasions, but they didn't and uh, held up, and, and that's, uh, that's that. So let's take a quick break, and then we'll get into all the protests, the, um, well, the protests, the, the brand stuff, the, the scouting department stuff, how it affects youth. Um, we'll get into all of that um, after the break. All right, um, we are back now and talking about kind of the off-the-pitch stuff that's happened over the last few weeks, uh, or, few, few, or last week with Everton, a uh, week or so. Um, obviously, it's been pretty crazy. We talked about it on our last podcast um, about the protest that was planned and, and our thoughts on it. Um, the protests did go on in the 27th minute. There were people that left. I think there were far less people that left than, than was expected. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know how you guys felt about this. As the game wore on and as the game started to continue to, you know, move in the way it was, and, and, and as we got close to the 27th minute, there was more and more of me that felt like there wasn't going to be a mass exodus in that sense. And um, just because of how the game was going. But what are your guys' thoughts on how the protests went and, uh, were you expecting more? Uh, Jeff, we'll start with you. So um, if I'm absolutely honest, and it's my personal opinion, uh, I was not in favor of the, the protest in the first place. I think there's better ways to, to do it than that. I didn't actually think that there would be a great turnout or evacuation of the, the uh, stands anyway. Uh, and, and that's the way it turned out. There was a lot of booing, which I don't know whether it was picked up on the um, on, on the TV. Uh, so booing from those who stayed to those who left. Uh, so there's clearly it, it, it upset quite a, a lot of people. Um, I, I think, <laughs> I mean, apart from anything else, on a purely practical note, it was a horrible night to be leaving your seat and going outside. Um, apart from missing a, a, a wonderful game of, of uh, football. Um, but I personally um, thought, I, I didn't expect there to be more than that. Uh, I think once you're in the ground, it's, it's a really difficult decision to get up and leave, especially that early in a game. So I, I'm not convinced. I'm not totally against fans having a say, of course. Uh, you know, we, we want to see better for our club. Um, and that there will be other actions that will be taken. I think this is part of uh, many things that are going to go on uh, regarding the 27 years bit. Um, but I, I'd ask a simple question. So 27 years, bit of an insignificant number, quite honestly. Why wasn't it 25 years? Why wasn't it 26 years? It's been a long time since we won a trophy. Uh, and I can only really put it down to the, the current situation uh, we're in. Uh, and that were were uh, that there's still a significant amount of uh, resistance against Rafa Benitez, and and I, I actually think some of that is behind it. 
Yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from, Jeff. Calvin, um, your thoughts before I uh, give give mine, really. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I, 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 so if you look at it, right, if, if, I don't think anyone ever expected that half the stadium to, to stand up and leave on 27 minutes. I, I think we always knew that was not going to happen. Yeah. If anything, though, right, I, I think the protests sort of greater goal of increasing, you know, it sounds funny to say increasing awareness because I think everyone is very well aware we have not won anything for 27 years, right? So more about the awareness around the, hey, what are we looking to do? And I say we because I'm considering myself personally as as an integral part of that fan base that is very dissatisfied with how this club is um, turned in the last few years, if you will, and uh, you know, not having a direction under Farhad Mashiri. So, um, from the from the perspective of increasing awareness of this protest, and that you know, the 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 we're, we're, we as fans, we are looking to engage more with our share owners uh, and our board. From that perspective, I think this was a successful protest. I think. Someone is paying attention, and as as we're going to talk next, right? The changes that are happening around the club, this uh, strategic uh, review around the structure of the club, uh, whether this was happening before or not. Now that we are raising our voices, news about this is coming out, and actions are being taken. Whether the actions are correct or not will remain to be seen, right? But the club is doing something, and that is what we want to see. Like somebody do something, right? Enough is enough. And, and, and Jeff, you're absolutely right. Why not 25 years? Why not 20 years? We should have been raising a stink about this a long time ago, right? Um, so whatever, whatever comes out of this, if we can have greater engagement with the leadership, I think that is all that is being asked for from the fan base. Um, and again, I'm, not, I'm disappointed to hear the booing um, because it, it, it just shows a lack of acceptance, right? So I, I think everyone needs to remember why this is happening. We are doing this because we want Everton to be better. So whether the method is one, you know, you or I would prefer or not, I think that's irrelevant. We do need to come together as a fan base and say, yes, we want the same things that the board wants for us. And the problem with that is we don't know what the board wants because there is that lack of transparency there. So uh, long way of saying um, we've got a long way to go. I, I don't think this is the end. Sorry about that. Um, no, yes, um, I, I, I agree. I, I mean, I think I was, I guess I was in favor of the pro. I, I agree with, with what you guys are saying. I guess I was in favor of the protest because Maybe, like you guys said, it was it was long overdue that we make a stink about the fact that <laughs> this club has kind of been in shambles for for years um, and and hasn't really figured it out, especially over the last five six years or whatever it may be since the Moshiri era has started. And I also agree that a lot of the stink is being made because of Rafa. I, I think that there's a lot of opinions flying around. I, I as I said on last week's podcast, Jeff. Um, my personal opinion is that if Rafa was any other manager, everybody would be pointing towards the injuries and towards certain other factors as to the reason why we're not playing well. And I'm not sure any of this would have happened. And as I said in the um, 
you know, in the, in, in the, the chat. Um, and, and listen, I am, I am butter knifing these stats and butter knifing these, uh, cutting these things out. Um, obviously there were things that went our way that probably shouldn't have went our way or maybe couldn't have went our way. And the luck factor wasn't our favorite at the beginning of the season. But if you look at the la- at, at a couple games over the last over that stretch of I guess eight straight you know winless matches or whatever it was, you look at the Watford match where we played 15 minutes of really bad football and lost, and you look yeah. at the overturned penalty in the Richarlison in the Tottenham game. Those yeah. are two incidents that probably should have brought us three points each. That's five extra points. Those five extra points put us tied on points with Arsenal for. Um, seventh right now. Uh, if we if we win uh, on Monday, so as I said in the chat, I'm not sure things if those two things go our way, um, and everything else goes exactly the same. Uh, I'm not sure Brands is fired. I'm not sure Rafa is being questioned, and and I think that a lot of people would be pointing to that as to you know, hey, like. If it was Graham Potter, hey, Graham Potter this, or if it, even if it was Carlo, as I said, yeah. um, I think on the podcast last week, if it was Carlo, like w- Carlo's last 15, 10 games, whatever it was, were awful. Um, they were awful. Uh, and, and so, but people were still supporting him, um, even though he was an older manager with some maybe outdated tactics um, and a player that he, a per two that he brought in that was one of his players back in the day. So, I think the Rafa factor plays a very, very big factor in everything because I think everybody's initial thing is they want to hate him. They want to hate yeah. him. And again, <laughs> me and Calvin as um, me and Calvin as as uh, American uh, or people who live in America who don't get to experience the um, the the English the the Everton Liverpool rivalry and what it is living in that area. We yeah. probably don't get that as much, and we, we don't understand that. We're speaking from purely a just looking at the two situations without having that. And obviously, we also hate Liverpool. We, we also <laughs> don't, don't root for them and, and hate seeing them succeed. But um, I, it's a little bit different for us because we are removed from that situation of having to be in the same household with another um, you know, Liverpool fan or, or that type right. of thing. So like, I, I get it. From, from a perspective of having to live in that and understand that and live through. I, I never lived through the Rafa era. Like I was too young at that point. I wasn't following Everton. I was, you know, I was, it, it was before my time in terms of really getting into the, the club and the sport. Um, but I understand the, that perspective. But when you look at it as a whole and you look at Rafa as just Rafa, not Rafa that went to Liverpool, as you look at Rafa and the job that he's done here, I think that, it's you know there's a lot of things that are playing into it yes he has played a small factor in some of those things with tactics and whatnot but Mm -hmm. I I think you know we need you know if things went a little bit differently 50 minutes of football I mean you could point out the 50 minutes of football against Watford you can point out the first 45 against Wolves after that the Richie overturned penalty there's multiple different things that aren't really much of Rafa's fault it's just the team was awful in those 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 three or in two of those parts of two of those games for 60 minutes of two of those games and yeah. a, a VAR penalty that he can't do anything about. That was a clear penalty. Um, you know, those are things that change a season. Uh, so, um, you know, I think that being, we, we, we quickly forget what Rafa did at the beginning of the season 
Um, so I think, again, without, without getting too much more into this being a Rafa thing, I think that's a huge factor. But um, when 27 minutes came around and we were kind of firing on all cylinders, getting back to the protest, I, I knew that there wasn't going to be a, a large exodus. I mean, the fans were into it. The club, was, the, the team was showing up. So that's my, um, you know, I, I just, I knew in, in my heart, I was like, there's no way anybody gets up. If I was there, I wouldn't have gotten up and left. You know, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's, you're right in the middle of all of that. So, um, you know, I think the protest did what the protest or maybe the thought of the protest did what the protest needed to do. Maybe um, get people at the club thinking and, and, and talking, um, whether it be through different channels than we would like or not. But, um, you know, now we have a clear, a clear idea. We have an idea that Rafa is now the, we know running the show. He's running the show. We know who is accountable for the situations that currently, um, that currently, uh, you know, reside at the club and, 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 if you have a problem with some of the reports that have come out about Rafa with the Livermento stuff and the, the Dumfries stuff and him wanting somebody different and this, that, and the other thing, I will fully support you in that. I don't, dis- I don't disagree with you. I think that's a problem that I am a little worried about with Rafa. The fact that he wanted somebody older and, and we're still looking for sort of these quick fix type players. And I, have a, I, I completely agree with you with that. Um, it's just the other stuff that maybe I, I don't agree with. But um, as I mentioned, Brands is out. The scouting department's out. Um, your thoughts on the Brands exit, uh, you know, I guess his time at the club, um, whether he was the right guy to go, kind of your thoughts on the whole situation. Um, and Jeff, if you want to touch on it, talk about how this will affect the youth and, and maybe how in Brands' uh, tenure, the youth was a, a huge you know, factor that we did kind of, for the most part, I think when he made the decisions, that we were angling it towards youth and now it looks like maybe that might not be the case, but Jeff, if you want to start off going in all of that and then Calvin follow up, uh, that'd be great. Okay. Uh, so, so I think it's inevitable either the director of football or the manager was going to go. Um, the part of it was neutralizing the 27th minute protests. I think, uh, that, that they will get something out, uh, which would show that they were taking some action, uh, with, with the view to actually, uh, having an easier ride of it. Um, I, I think um, it is clear that they never got on, um, director of football uh, and uh, so Brands and Benitez. I'd say the same about Ancelotti too. Um, the, the, there was quite clear there were Ancelotti signings and there were uh, Brands signings during that time. And likewise, you, you know, had we had, have had the money, I, I think we'd have seen purely Benitez signings this time round because quite quite clearly and. I'm a bit caught between in two minds on this, really. Uh, I think Benitez, or whoever this is, stands and is accountable for his signings. And, you know, if he makes a bad one, then, you know, he holds his hands up and, and says there's a bad one. But looking back, he's made some excellent signings in the past. For, I hate to say it, for Liverpool, you know, but uh, Xabi Alonso uh, was no one had heard of him. And he came through and he was fantastic for Liverpool, Jordan. I hate to say it. But he was fantastic during that time. So uh, I think there are, there are things, um, you know, where, where we're going to see a new accountability, if nothing else, where uh, it, it's quite clear, I think, even if they got rushed a director of football in now, um, I, I think it's going to be Benitez making the calls on who we recruit in January. Um, so there is that. 
What I don't like, and you've touched on it, Gino, is that uh, he, he always seems to focus on older players if, if what we're hearing is true. And Liveramento, honestly, um, as soon as I saw, first saw him this season for Southampton, I, I thought, where on earth did that boy come from? Um, and in spite of the name, I think he's a London boy uh, who grew up on, on uh, Chelsea's books, uh, nominal fees to Southampton. And yeah. what a signing he's been. And yet we missed out. Um, I'd focus on that even more than Dumfries, uh, because Denzel Dumfries, at least everyone knew about him because of the, the World Cup situation. And there were some doubts about whether he was a great defensive right back, great at going forward. Liveramento looks the real deal. So yeah. my, my concern really, I guess, is with, with uh, Benitez in charge, are we going to be uh, getting just purely older players, which is a short shelf life, quick fix and um, no resale value. And what does that actually say? And this is the big worry for me. What does that actually say to the youth um, that we, we've got within the squad, within the club? Um, so I know uh, Branthwaite just signed a new contract today, which is great news for the club. Um, excellent uh, centre-back prospect. Uh, we've got others like uh, Sims, uh, Dobbin, Onyango. That they must look at this and go, well, you know, we we know the the best we can hope for is going out on loan in January because we're not going to get a look in. The with um, Benitez's plan so far, it quite yeah. it seems quite obvious that he's not going to rely upon youth. I kind of get it if your job's on the line and you you want you know what will show you up in the best light, but I think it's a bit narrow-minded personally. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, uh, I agree. It's. I think it's the difference difference between a manager that that's you know uh, I guess managing for uh, for his position versus one who's truly implementing a long term plan, right? Mm -hmm. And so far, Rafa is not showing any indication of that. Again, uh, if Rafa can get us Europe with the squad that he has and with whatever. Uh, bits and pieces he can add on in January. I think that will that will be the kind of foundation that you can build a, a squad on, right? With the with the expected increase in income coming in from qualifying for Europe, and and then you know the, the, that necessitates having a bigger squad as well because you're playing more games, and and that that's one way to blood youngsters. So it is a bit of a vicious cycle, right? Breaking out of what loop Everton are in right now. Right. If we keep playing youngsters and keep losing, then we don't really qualify for Europe. So then you have to bring in some experienced older players who cost more, but those come with more risk, risk of injury, risk of flaming out, and then you've wasted your transfer fee. But so again, Everton have had so many near misses and are, I guess, uh, you know, hits and misses, right? We've qualified for Europe and then, you know, crashed out the next season. Uh, so Trying to trying to get into that consistency where, like Arsenal, right? I think Arsenal went two decades where they qualified for Europe every season, some level of competition. So trying to get into that, that is ex that is the kind of thing you can build a foundation on for a truly successful club. And again, I, I don't know if Rafa was brought in to be that guy. I think it to me it looks like Rafa has been brought in for uh some sort of 2 3 year plan to get Everton consistently in the top 10 because right now we're not even a consistent top 10 side so uh he doesn't seem to be a legacy builder no 
and 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 that's that that's a concern, right? But that's also part of our complaints about the board not necessarily showing a clear vision, and and this is this is just one of those things. Yeah, it's as you guys said. I think with the brands thing, I think that was. Um, I think it was just they, there needed to be a head to fall, and I think he was the one that was going to fall. I think that's unfortunately how it was. I think a lot of people were unhappy with it because, and with the reports that have come out, it's clear that he was probably not the problem. He was probably not getting to do what he wanted to do, and, and we said this multiple times. You know, um, The unfortunate part about the brand's era is that we didn't really get to see what he wanted to do and the plan he wanted to execute because he didn't really get an option to do that. It's been a lot of Carl yeah. Moshiri. It's been a lot of Carlo Ancelotti and now Rafa Benitez butting their heads into the transfer situation um, and not letting Benitez do his job. And Benitez really didn't even get to hire a manager at that point. So, um, you know, Silva was a guy who was looked at in the Farhad Moshiri era before Brands came along. Then, of yeah. course, Ancelotti is a Moshiri guy um, and Benitez is a Moshiri, Moshiri hire as well. So, uh, or you would believe. Um, so it's, it's tough on brands and I wish him the best because I think that uh, given different circumstances, maybe under different owner and different ownership, I, I think he could have done really good things at the club and really brought yeah. a sustainability to Everton's success. Because I, I think that he had a long-term plan and the unfortunate part of that is that Moshiri, I think, wanted a short-term fix. And, and, and the long-term plan would have maybe seen us finish between 8th and 13th in a couple of the first seasons, but probably would have seen us ultimately climb out of that and be a sustainable, you know, top yeah. seven club maybe. But, um, but he never got the opportunity to do that. So, um, unfortunately, he's, he's one of the heads that fall. The scouting department follows him, which makes sense after the reports came out about Livermento and and Dumfries and the scouting department recommending them to, to Benitez and Benitez not wanting any part of them, uh, which yeah. is unfortunate because, I mean, the, the one part about that is that, you know, we needed to write back. So whether he's the guy right. you really, really want or you don't, he, they're young prospects that could end up working out. So, you know, listen to the scouting department. Like, that's what they're there for, you know. So um, that's the unfortunate part about that situation and the fallout from it. And it does worry me a little bit about Benitez because as I've said on the, the podcast before, um, recently, you know, we, we have gone for these quick fixes and they haven't really worked out typically, but I guess if Benitez can figure it out, then I am all for it and, and we'll see, but it does worry me a little bit about how the club will be run over the next few months and, and really an imperative few months. It's, there's only two ways it can go. It could go really, really well, or it could go really, really bad and um <laughs> again yes again and and unfortunately really really bad again might result in something we don't really want to be involved in which is a relegation battle so right. um we'll we will see how that um plays out um as you mentioned uh the youth might not get as much of a chance but um <laughs> if they at least get loaned out that would be a huge thing because that has been again something we've talked about before jeff um you know, something that we haven't really seen a lot of these players sticking around for far too long. So, um, you know, hopefully the, the youth, if they're not going to find a place in the first team, hopefully they get loaned out and we can see what they have and maybe show Benitez kind of what, what the situation is there. Um, let's talk a little about the youth though, and move on from 
from the, the situations off the pitch. Uh, give us a little youth update, Jeff. What, what's, what's going on with the youth teams right now? So uh, there was quite hot off the press last night, uh, the youth team. So, so this is a competition where uh, you can only play players who were 18 or younger at the start of the season. So it eliminates uh, some of the people who've been playing for the under-23s, but some were still eligible. So it's a bit of a hodgepodge of a team that you, you can pull together. Um, but you can bring down some of those players who've been playing at the higher level under 23s into the youth team for the duration of that competition. Mm-hmm. So la- last night we won 3-2, which is uh, the, the good news, um, and progressed through to the fourth round of the FA Youth Cup, um, which is quite a prestigious competition. We have won it in the past years ago. Um, so it, it, it's quite a, a big deal. And um, it, it was interesting, my observation on it really was that it was really interesting to see those players who'd been involved at the higher level at under-23s and involved in first-team training under Benitez, um, such as uh, Mills, Welch and uh, Whitaker, especially, that they all played last night. They all showed a, a much greater level of understanding and experience against the 17, 18-year-old counterparts uh, that were, were playing against them for Fulham last night. Um, so it was really good to see that they seem to have made some progress. Um, so uh, great game of football last night, by the way. Um, it had everything. Uh, three goals from us. As I say, some really good attacking football. Plenty of shots. Some people who stood out um, for us. We, we had a, a 15-year-old playing a, a left-back for us. Uh, which is really good to see, and his composure absolutely belied his years. Um, So there there was plenty of good stuff going on. There was even a a good old scrap at the end um, (laughs) following a a, a rather industrial challenge by uh, the skipper, Matty Mallon, who who, who cleared out uh, one of the the attackers. And and, and it's actually an injury time. It's probably an unnecessary thing to do. But um, there, there was a full, it was like, one of those scenes that you see from an ice hockey game when um, all things go really awry at the end of the match. So it was really, um, you shouldn't laugh about those things, but I have to have a, um, say it was mildly entertaining and rather quite unusual for kids of that age to actually um, t- take it upon themselves to have a full scale. Uh, battle but uh, yeah they did um, that they, they did well uh, the under 23s and under 18s have had really good successes in the last week or so so things are generally looking up um, 3-0 win against Manchester United for the under 18s a week ago today and uh, the under 23s whilst the first team were playing on Monday won 2-0 so uh, plenty of goals being scored and clean sheets being kept so uh, it's good news it, it, it's quite promising at the moment and I think just getting back to the point about uh, we've made it several times uh, about uh, Unsworth's teams in the past relying upon those older players who, when I say older, people who are 21, 22, 23, still playing for the club, no future with the club, but it got us good results. I think at least now it's a bit of a bit more of a level playing field that we, we've now got players playing in, in the under-23 setup who are 18, 19. You know, they're, they're still learning a trade, but at least you can say, you know, any results that we do get, I know that's the secondary important, uh, most important thing here, but any anything that we do get is purely down to uh, the, the youth 
uh, of the team getting us through these games. So uh, it, it's I'd say it's more promising than it has been for a while after a very dodgy start to the season. And yeah. I think we're, we're, we're getting there now where the, the teams are doing well. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's uh, it's always good to hear about the youth team. It's always good to hear about uh, some success at that level. I know we've had, and we've talked about this. There's been success at the youth level for a while now, and obviously, it hasn't translated as much, unfortunately, to the professional level. But it's always good to hear those those teams doing well. I know I saw, um, I know I saw on on Twitter some stuff about the youth academy. Um, so I, there's been, uh, you know, it's it, it's. You know, especially with the players we have down there and some promising talent, it's always good to hear them them doing yeah. well. So we appreciate the update, Jeff. And um, Calvin, anything to add on the youth? Anything to add on the protests? Anything? Yeah. Uh, yeah just a couple of things. Uh, I think this was an interesting little factoid from this last weekend. But uh, the last round of games, right? Every single Everton team won. So all five of our teams, when you look at it, the under-16s, the under-18s, both beat Manchester United. The under-23s beat Arsenal. Uh, the men, men's team beat Arsenal as well. And the women's team won as well. I do not remember a weekend where all five Everton teams have won. So uh, that was one interesting thing that jumped out at me. Um, and, and I think just, just to close that, uh, the conversation about the youth teams, though, I think Marcel Brand's enduring legacy on Everton might be the clear out that he's done at the under 18 and under 23 level. You know, getting rid of a lot of that dead weight that's been taking up squad spots and now allowing the under 18 stars to go to the under 23 level and start yeah. to progress there and having the under 16 kids going into the under 18 team and starting to flourish there. I, I think that is going to be his legacy, um, you know, two, three years down the line. If this crop of youngsters ends up producing some starters, ends up producing some players that we can sell for tidy sums, I, I think that's, an, that's going to end up being Marcel Brand's legacy to, to Everton, really. Yeah, yeah, I think, um, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think, um, you know, he's had his effect and on that youth youth academy and the youth teams and and kind of the system we're running down there and hopefully it continues to work in that direction there's been a lot of talent that we've produced that has been at least looked quality um they haven't made their their you know appearances on the the first team yet but we have seen anthony gordon come up and out of the youth academy recently and, and do a fantastic job for everton so hopefully some more of that in the future would be would be nice and if not and we can sell them for a nice hefty fee that that would also be that would also be good. I, th I think there's there's one name that uh, came through and I've uh, written about it in uh, one of my recent reports. Uh, a guy called Frankie Okoronkwo, uh, mm -hmm. who they signed from Sunderland. Uh, they offered him professional terms, whereas uh, Sunderland had also, and he, he chose to come to uh, Marcel yeah, Brands, right. spoke to him, brought him through. Uh, he looks the real deal. Um, mm -hmm. He's... <laughs> Brand's last signing, if you like. So it'll be interesting to see whether uh, that there's a certain irony there that um, you know he, he actually comes through. He, he came on as a substitute uh, yesterday, scored a goal, and um, for a, an 18-year-old, he, he's a he's a big lad uh, who who can hold his own, holds the ball up well, proper striker, um, Calvert Lewin type. I, I think he'll. Uh, He'll come through, and uh, I wonder if many people, I wonder if Marcel Brands will and will point that out in years to come. Hopefully, 
Yeah. Yeah. We'll definitely see. Keep, keep an eye out for him. And, uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully he does. That would be a good call. That'd be a good call, Jeff. You, you can make, you can, uh, stake a claim on that one. We'll, we'll make sure to cut uh, that out. A, I'll take any fame I can get. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's take another quick break and then we'll get into the, uh, Crystal Palace match, uh, coming up, uh, tomorrow. All right, we're back. And as I mentioned, we're going to talk about the Crystal Palace match that's coming up tomorrow. That's Sunday at 11.30 a.m. here over in the East Coast. I believe that's 4.30 p.m. over uh, in England for you guys. This game taking place at Selhurst Park. Um, Now, this is a stat that I'm going to say, and Everton fans are not going to like this stat. Crystal Palace are winless in their last 13 Premier League meetings with Everton. They've drawn seven and lost six since their 3-2 away win in September 2014. Um, You know, as is the typical Everton fan in all of us, we're going to think that that record is going to be broken this week. Um, Everton are unbeaten in 10 Premier League away games against Crystal Palace. They've drawn five and – or Crystal Palace has drawn five and lost five uh, since a 1-0 loss in October 1994. In their top flight history, only against Preston – and Liverpool have they had longer unbeaten runs. So um, Everton playing pretty well at Selhurst Park. Uh, following a seven-game unbeaten run, Crystal Palace did lose their last three Premier League games. The last, um, uh, last time they lost more consecutively was June-July of 2020 when they lost seven consecutive. Unfortunately, while Everton have had a good away record at Selhurst Park, they're winless in five away Premier League matches. Uh, their worst run since an eight-game stretch between April and October of uh, 2019. The Toffees have also conceded first in each of their current five-game winless run on the road. Um, and then Everton have won more points from losing positions than any other side in the Premier League in 2021-22, which is something that um, we don't typically do. And has, it's been, that's been a huge change for Everton. They've won 10 points from losing positions, making up 56% of their total 10 of 18 um, in premier league history, only wolves in 2011 and 2012 and West Brom in 2010, 2011 have won a higher share of their total points from losing position in a single season. So um, some things that are kind of atypical for Everton, that's, that's not something you, you typically see from Everton. Um, obviously the way performance at Selhurst park has been good. Um, but this is we 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 mentioned those stats, but we also kind of look at this game in a vacuum of what it is going into uh, going into tomorrow. Everton, uh, presumably without Mina, I would think still. They I don't I didn't read Rafa's comments. Yeah, he's out. I'm assuming yeah, he's out. So um, we'll not have him. How would you guys still without DCL? How would you guys line up um, uh, tomorrow, Calvin? We'll start with you. Yeah, again, you know, we've been banging that three midfielder drum. So I, I will continue with that crusade. I, I think we need to stick with the 4 3 3. Basically, the lineup that ended the game, uh, or at least once Gomez came on, right? I think that would be the change I would make. So I, I would put Gomez on. Um, it is interesting. You do want to start Townsend against Palace, right? I, I think he's got something a bit of a point to prove there after they let him walk as a free agent. Um, so I, I, I would go with the 4-3-3. Uh, Townsend on the right, Gray on the left, uh, Richie up top. Um, and then uh, Andre Gomez uh, coming into the midfield, yeah? 
Jeff, how about you? So uh, I think I, I'd have uh, more or less the same, I think. Uh, I think the, the 4-3-3 sounds like the way to go. Uh, I think Gomez has got to start. I think Townsend will be really up for this game, having left them on a free last season. He'll be keen to show what he can do, maybe uh, bag a, a goal for us. Um, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see him uh, start the game. Um, I, I, I think Anthony Gordon might get a rest here. Um, uh, that's just a good feeling that uh, I get mm. from it. There, there was a small doubt, I believe, about Alan uh, as to whether he he would be fit for this game. So I think a lot depends on that. But I think if Alan uh, didn't make it, I think you'd see Delph coming in for Alan, uh, mm. doing that sitting role that we talked about before. Might actually yeah. be a lot better for us, to be perfectly honest, if we yeah. had uh, both Decore and uh, Gomez carrying a ball forward. Um, I, yeah. I think that would work. Um, and, and I think Richie up top, let, let's just hope he, he's, uh, the fire hasn't gone out from the other night uh, because I think <laughs> that will really work for us. Uh, yeah, I, I would like to see three in the midfield. That would be my ideal situation, whether it be Alan or uh, Delph being that other midfielder is the question. Um, I mean, honestly, I kind of like to see Delph if we're going to go three in the midfield just to see how that works out and to see how, how free Decore and um, Decore and uh, Gomez could be in that situation. I think um, with the, uh, you know, obviously Townsend being from Palace, coming from Palace technically, even though we got him on a free, um, I, I still think as much as Anthony Gordon has impressed being the situation that we have with players back, and if we're going to go three in the midfield with Gomez, I would imagine that, that Townsend shifts off to that right side. I would imagine Gray stays on the left side, and then you see um, Richarlison up top. Um, the three across the back. Whether we see Dean back again, I'm not sure. I think I think Rafa likes Godfrey's defense, and and I think Godfrey did a good enough job not to lean him to think otherwise. Although, I guess that's the decision, right? Do you play Holgate yeah. in the center or Godfrey in the center? So, um, it's I guess we'll find out how Rafa really feels about Dean this weekend because there is no Mina. Um, and, and the, the, the question now, now remains whether they're going to, you know, whether he's going to go, um, put Dean back in after everything that's happened or, or yeah. take him out, but we'll, we'll see. I, I think he'll be reluctant to also the back four that, uh, from the other night, uh, with the exception of Maynard, obviously. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I, I think that the, the back four that finished the game will, will start again. Uh, I don't think uh, Lucas Dino, uh, I, I think that situation will get resolved. I don't think it will be frozen out for yeah. a long time. Um, but I, I would suspect that uh, tomorrow Godfrey puts in such a solid display at left back and uh, Holgate looked much improved. I, I think that's the way we'll line up at the back. Yeah, that would be my guess too. Um, my guess would be those. That would be the four we line up at the back. Holgate. Um, I didn't mention this when we were talking about him before, but I believe he either won the most aerial duels out of anyone, or won all of his aerial duels. I think he won nine aerial duels in the uh, in the in the game, which is something that we typically don't see from him. He's not as no, good in the yeah. as 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 someone um, as some of the other center backs we have. So good on him. And you know, if he does get the start, hopefully he continues to improve on that because. Maybe we'll start to get the player, the whole gate back that we remember before the injury uh, that was so good and, and was, you know, a huge player for Everton that season. Um, but moving on to Palace specifically, 
what worries you about this Palace team? Any players? Uh, you know, where are they going to cause a threat? Uh, Calvin, we'll start with you again. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so uh, I, I think Palace, you know, uh, under Patrick Vieira, right? They, they're a very different team than the Palace under Roy Hodgson, right? Uh, I think Vieira is is trying to build a side like the one that he played in in Arsenal. Um, you know, obviously doesn't have that kind of talent level around there. Uh, but I, I think he's getting a lot out of Zaha, you know, and, and not, not that Hodson didn't. But I, I think this is a bit of a different Zaha. I, I think he continues to be the danger man for Palace. Um, I, I think Eze is an excellent young player. I think he's shown to be... Uh, he definitely has a lot of potential, and 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 I and I, I, th- I think Palace should be excited about what they've got there. Um, again, uh, uh, under Vieira, Palace are playing in a four-three-three. So if we again go with a two-man midfield, we run that risk of getting swamped and you know chasing shadows in our own half, and 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 Palace uh, can take advantage of that. I, I think they are a capable squad. Uh, they, um, and and again, Holgate. If he is the choice in the middle, he's going to be, have to be at the top of his game because he's going to go up against Christian Benteke, who is very strong in the air, like exceedingly strong in the air. So what we can't have is Holgate losing his man and Michael Keane late to cover and Benteke can, you know, cushion a header down for late runners coming into the box again, like Ayu, like Zaha, like Eze. So... Uh, this 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 game is not uh, is not an uh, a, a, an easy one for us, um, especially not going to London. So with our away form, uh, I would be very worried if we go down in this game. I I, I don't know, uh, but I, I think the key for us here is going to be to go with that three man midfield. Uh, real quick, is Eze back for them? Because I know he was injured. He ruptured his Achilles last season. Um, yeah, he is. Yeah, he he's played, back. He yeah, because I know he played. He played in the U twenty threes. I haven't. I didn't know if he was back uh, officially back from the injury with the the first team squad yet, though. Uh he was. He he. You came on as a sub against Palace. I mean, okay. against United. Sorry. All right, but I mean that he, he is. Uh, I honestly, he's he's one of the most worrying parts for me. Jeff, your your thoughts on this Palace team and, and where they can cause a threat. So I I think Palace is still a little bit transitional. Uh, in terms of uh, Vieira coming in and trying to make his mark with the team, I think he, he will get it right eventually. Um, but but uh, my, my biggest worry is uh, Zahar. If he's up for the game, he can be unplayable at times. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And the, the other secondary worry, uh, in spite of what we've said about uh, Holgate having a good game the other night um, and winning headers, according to the stats that you gave us, um, <laughs> I, I think against, uh, against Benteke, uh, Benteke is really strong in the air. Last yeah. season under Hodgson, he sometimes couldn't hit a barn door. He, he was he was really uh, shocking with his finishing, and he still is hit and miss. I just hope it, it's an off day for him um, yeah. because he could get some joy in the air against our back four, and um, that that that's what worries me really. I'm still yeah. hopeful actually. I, I think I don't think we'll lose, uh, and I'm hopeful of uh, us getting uh, all three points. Yeah, I mean the the big question for me is, um, but the the player for me that that stands out for Palace is Connor Gallagher. He's had a really good season for them, um, so he's yeah. a guy that 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 I worry about. He's a guy that will make that late run into the box. He'll be creative. He's very good on the ball. 
Uh, so he's a guy that, that worries me from that team and creating things. Obviously, Ben Teke, I mean, whether it's Godfrey or Holgate, neither of them are as good as Mina in the air. So that's going to be a huge, huge problem, um, you know, if, if he's on his game. So uh, look out for that on corners and, 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 and things like that. So um, that's going to be a, a big question mark for, for the Everton defense. Um, and then, of course, yeah, the, the Gallagher, you know, being creative on that, um, on the ball and, and, and being able to create so much. He's had a couple, I guess, rougher games over the past couple of weeks, but um, you know, he's still a very talented player and I'm, I'm sure he'll show up. Um, uh, you know, I'm sure he'll show up and, 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 and put on a good performance. So he's, he's a guy that worries me. Uh, what do Everton have to do to uh, be successful in this match? Jeff, we'll start with you. So uh, I think they, I honestly think uh, the playing the uh, counter-attacking uh, game that Benitez is obviously very fond of is the the way that we'll have success here. I think mm-hmm. that that it's not a very nice place to play, Sellers Park. The crowd's right on top of you. Uh, they're a very vocal crowd. They get them whipped up. Uh, they send in the uh, is it an eagle or, or some wild bird around the stadium uh, <laughs> before the game starts. It, it's quite a, a hostile place to be at. And I, and I think if we manage to soak up uh, the, the first 10, 15 minutes of, of them attacking us and with the crowd behind them, then I think we can punish them on the counter-attack. And, mm-hmm. and that's, so it's altering very little from the way we've been playing, to be perfectly honest. It's just uh, being able to hit them with uh, pace uh, on the counter-attack, which we've got with uh, Gray and Richarlison, even, even Townsend to a degree, um, so, so we, we, we've got um, we, we've got that pace to hurt them, and that's what I hope that we do. Yeah, I, uh, Calvin, how about you? Uh, so, uh, I, I think Jeff, you're spot on about Palace and how they play at home, right? Um, I, 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 was, I did watch a little bit of that last game they played at home uh, against Newcastle that they actually lost. Um, and it was interesting in that game, they lined up in a 4-2-3-1 uh, with Benteke up top, Zaha wide left, and mm-hmm. Connor Gallagher as their number 10. And they had 63% of the possession. And, and, and Newcastle were still able to beat them playing that counter-attacking game. So, you know, I, I think the key is going to be that midfield again, right? So if you can keep Gallagher quiet, if you can cut off the supply to Zaha, because Nothing frustrates Zaha more than not getting the ball, right? So when yeah. he gets isolated for a long time and then he has to fall back deeper and deeper to come get the ball, that throws him off his game. So I think that that's where this game's going to get won or lost. Um, I, I think we're going to have to display the same kind of work rate we did against Arsenal. Um, I think Rafa commented that the, the total distance run by the Everton players in the game against Arsenal is the most in any Everton game in the last four years. That's, that, that's interesting. Because <laughs> um, so, it didn't necessarily look like they did anything extra. So, no, yeah. So that, right? So, so yeah, that was interesting. So, but yeah, that kind of work rate to keep people like Zaha and Gallagher down. And, and if Pellets do line up in a 4-3-3, I am worried because both Gallagher and Zaha are going to be on the left, which is the Everton right, which means Coleman's going to have to do double duty, uh, you know, trying to keep both of those guys covered. And that's, that's not his strong forte, right? And, you know, mm-hmm. the age is getting to him. He just played on, uh, you know, midweek. Or actually, it was Monday. So, 
uh, it's going to be like six days rest, I guess. So I, I don't yeah. know. This, this could be interesting. Uh, I, I, I think Townsend's going to have to put in a defensive shift there on the right to help support, mm-hmm. especially if we don't end up with the three-man midfield. Uh, but yeah, the key, key of the game is in the middle there. Yeah, I think, and that's a great point that you bring up. I think that's another reason why Townsend starts is that I think that Benitez likes his professionalism and his, his defensive um, play better than um, Anthony Gordon. So I think that's another reason he starts. But yeah, I think Everton um, controlling Zaha, you know, it's, it's, that attack is going to be dangerous at points. And, and like you said, Selhurst Park is, is an interesting place. I've, I've been to Selhurst Park. I haven't been inside, but I've, I've, I've been outside of it. Um, um, but it's a smaller ground. So similar to some of the other smaller grounds like a Bournemouth or whatnot, you know, the fans are right on top of you there and they're kind of hanging over you with the, the steepness of some of those stands. So, um, you know, I think, um, it's going to be a difficult game. It's not going to be easy and, and they never are at palace. Are they? It feels like palace is that one team that we always have a, it's always a difficult, hard fought match and they always seem to win one, nothing. Well, you know, one, it's like one, 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 nothing, not a lot of goals. So, um, it, you know, got to continue to, to provide that attacking presence. Um, Damari Gray is going to have probably have to be Damari Gray and, and provide a little bit of individual excellence to create some space and, and to open up some things on the, uh, on the attacking side of, of the ball defensively. As I mentioned, it's, it's going to be in the air against Benteke and even Edward, who is, who's the, the striker they brought in from Celtic, I think he'll, he might play a role in this one as well. So yeah. it's going to be it's going to be an interesting um, it's going to be an interesting match for sure and and it's not exactly a match that plays to Everton's strengths I would say in their current state so um, we'll see how it, it, it plays out uh, we we'll do uh, predictions real quick and then we'll wrap this thing up Jeff we'll start with you what do you got for this one two one Everton there you go. Nice and nice and quick. Um, Alvin, how about you? <laughs> I like it, Jeff. I like the confidence. Uh, I I I, I want to believe in a win, but I I, I think this is going to be a one-one. I think we're going to score first, and then sort of uh, sit back and and try to protect that lead. And I and then I see Palace equalizing in a in a messy goal, probably late on one-one. Let's say. Yeah, that's what I had. I had one one as well. Um, I just—it's always hard to play there for. It's just I don't know. Those games kind of worry me, and just what Palace bring to the table and how structured and and put together they've kind of seemed um, for the most part of this season. I know they've lost their last three, but they have been pretty solid for the most part. I think Vieira did a better job than most people expected, especially after the job he did at at Nice in France and and how things didn't really go as um, I'm sure he planned. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go with one one as well, which isn't 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 a terrible result. Obviously, we would like a win, but as long as we don't lose, that's the most important thing. So we'll see how how it plays out. Um, anything else you guys want to add before we wrap this thing up? No, thank All you. Right. All right, sounds good. Um, thank you guys for joining me, Jeff. Thank you for coming on and sharing your um, sharing your 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 youth updates with us. We always appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, same here, same here. Calvin, as always, thank you. Yeah, thanks, Gino. Um, and to you guys out there, thank you for following and um, you know subscribing, uh, downloading the episodes. Keep doing it. We appreciate it so much. Leave a review um, uh, on, on whatever you follow, whether it be you know the Google, Google Play, Apple, Apple Music, or Apple Podcasts, or whatever it is. Um, however you get the podcast, um, keep downloading it, leave reviews. 
whatever, whatever you want to do, we appreciate it all. And uh, we appreciate you guys for listening. Um, up the toffees and we'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. Cheers.